Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Will Deshaun Watson is healthy again. You excited to see him play? I will, Arson. I am very excited to see Deshaun Watson playing again. Especially excited to see him kick Brady's butt week one. Um, I don't know if he's going to kick Brady's butt. If he's going to kick anyone's butt, it's the New England Patriots defense, given how abysmal their performance was against the backup QB and Nick Foles. Alright, boys and girls. Today I am joined by my friend and very, very passionate fan, the Houston Rockets, Texans, and Astros, Mr. Will Arnson. Hello. Hello. In today's episode, we will feature a possible brawl between NBA players, the Red Sox sweeping the Yankees, and Cam Newton gets dissed by a former teammate. But we begin today with the Houston Astros and their injury bug. Despite getting Carlos Correa back last night, the Astros are still without several key players, including Lance McCullers Jr., George Springer, and the reigning AL MVP, Jose Altuve. Will, can your Astros overcome the injury bug to go back-to-back? Well, if they can keep it together to win the AL West, they should be in great position to win ring, ring number two. But that is much harder of a task than last year, unfortunately, as the Mariners and Athletics are both six or less games behind the Astros. And the Astros really need to put their recent losing streak behind them and grind out some tough wins uh, towards the end of the regular season and just get through that injury bug. But if they're healthy by October, the Astros should be in great position to win their championship. Well, you know, you make an interesting point about it being not as easy as last year. I mean, look at their stats. Josh Reddick's stats are down. George Springer's stats are down. Marwin Gonzalez's stats are down. Yuli Gurriel's stats are down. The main thing the Astros need to be is 100% healthy. If they're not 100% healthy, they're not going to win. The Red Sox weren't 100% healthy last year. They didn't win. The Yankees aren't 100% healthy now. Look what's happening then. Swept by Boston last week. The main key, if the Astros stay 100% healthy, they had a shot, but they still can't beat Boston. And this isn't my bias side. It, they need to stay healthy if they have any shot, though. Oh, as long as they're all good to go come October, we'll be just fine. We'll see Wait, about that. Your Boston Red Sox... They just finished off a four-game sweep last Sunday night against the New York Yankees, putting the Yankees in a nine-and-a-half game hole in the AL East race, which is now nine games. But the Yankees are also battling injury with sluggers Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez both on the DL. Liam, is the AL East race over? My biased side says yes, but my non-biased side says no, and I'll tell you why. Ten years ago in June, Kevin Garnett had had this quote after they won the finals. The quote was, anything is possible. Now, as much as I would like to believe that isn't true in this case, given how big the deficit is and that the Red Sox still play the Yankees six more times, given the Red Sox a very nice opportunity to end up closing the division on them, regardless of how well Judge or Sanchez play. If the Yankees are going to come back, which is highly unlikely, don't get me wrong, they need Gary Sanchez to be 100%, because... Sanchez was batting below 200, and he bat, batted just under 280 last year. That's a 85-point drop-off, dude. If yep. The Yankees need Gary Sanchez to go back to last year's form if they have any shot at winning the AL East. That's, if that happens, there's a tiny chance. But other than that, I really don't think there's a chance for the Yankees to come back. Yeah, I agree with you. To be honest, this race is almost over. The J.D. Martinez-Mookie Betts combo is on fire, along with uh, Andrew Benetton. And the pitching has been steady, led by Chris Sale. And the Red Sox <coughs> seem ready to roll into home field advantage. If any Yankees fans out there still have their hope up, 
Michael McGinnis, are you hearing this? Nine and a half, and pray for a wild card spot. I mean, and don't forget, Chris Sale has been on the DL, so he hasn't been able to fully anchor that rotation. Guys like David Price, Nathan Ivaldi, Rick Borsell have had to step up. And I'm going to say it again, it may not be over, but when it comes down to it, the AL East belongs to the Red Sox. Moving on to college basketball. Several rule changes were implemented over the past week, the most notable including a rule allowing quote quote elite prospects to have agents before college and players who declared for the draft but weren't drafted return to the school. Will out of these two new rules, which is more significant? In my opinion, the second rule is much more significant. I think that we can all assume that many high school prospects pretty much already have had agents before this rule to prepare them for the NBA instead of future endorsements. Is there so much corruption that surrounds the NCAA, and that is unchangeable, and it's highly unlikely that no high school players have already had agents. Um, however, the fact that players can return to college after being undrafted is very significant. Players such as uh, Trevon Duvall could have benefited from this role in the past uh, because they would have had a chance to prove themselves with another year of college basketball. Well, I'm gonna s- I know the show is supposed to be based on disagreement, but I agree with you. I mean, Rob Gray, who signed with the Houston Rockets very recently, could have definitely benefited from going back to college for a year. And if Leangelo Ball hadn't done something stupid in China and he hadn't gotten drafted like he wasn't this past year, he definitely could have benefited from a year or two at UCLA, even with LeVar Ball running rampant in the streets. I mean, all I'm saying is that this gives prospects that are good but not NBA ready yet a chance to prove themselves without riding the bench in the G League. Yes. Liam, I know March Madness is one of your favorite times of the year, and it'll be interesting to see if these rules come into play at all this March, and in the recruiting season as well. In pro basketball, rumors flew around last week that Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green got into a fight at LeBron James' ESPYs after party. It had to be broken up by LeBron and KD. Um, Thompson and Green did not shake hands after Golden State's finals victory, and Thompson was ejected in the dwindling seconds of Game 1 for shoving Green after he celebrated on the court. Liam, is this a big deal? It's a big deal for multiple reasons, and I'll tell you why. One, Draymond Green has the right to be cocky, to be completely honest. I mean, the man has three rings now. He has that right to be cocky. Tristan Thompson has won, and he was carried by LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love to that ring, so Tristan hasn't really done anything yet. Two, Thompson's already created a bad name for himself, what with the whole Khloe Kardashian thing, so if Thompson has said he wants to be an all-star next year, which is a buckload of bull to me, but if you're going to have that happen, then that just ruins, that just is a very bad picture image for your all-star campaign so Draymond Green being cocky make that makes him that gives him the right to be even more cocky Tristan Thompson it ruins his idea player legacy to be honest in my opinion this really hurts the Cavs image because one they've already had a problem with LeBron James leaving and now this whole Tristan Thompson issue just escalates it even further because uh, no one likes a dishonest guy like Tristan so the Cavs organization is getting a worse rep day by day. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they play us. And even with on the verge of irrelevance, Tristan Thompson will always have a name made for himself. On to the NFL. Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton was dissed by former teammate Calvin Benjamin last week as Benjamin stated that his career would have gotten much more of a boost if he was with a better quarterback. Will, is this a big deal? 
to be honest, I only consider this a big deal within the Panthers organization. And in my opinion, Kevin, Kelvin Benjamin is just pointing out the obvious. Cam Newton has been extremely inconsistent throughout his career. Uh, if, if you remember correctly, uh, Cam Newton as a rookie was, made the Pro Bowl, but his sophomore year, his stats completely declined. And this pattern of every other year has continued throughout his career. More recently, he won the MVP, and then the next year after that, the entire Panthers team was down in the dumps. So I think this is an internal problem of uh, distrust between Cam Newton and the rest of the team. Well, I mean, you make an interesting point because Luke Kuechly did not have a good year last year, or the year before last. And a, that was the result of Cam Newton not having a good year and not making the playoffs. I mean, I'm not sure if Benjamin would be a top five wide receiver, even if he did play with the Aaron Rodgers or the Tom Brady's or the Drew Brees of the league. I'm honestly not sure if that means... I mean, look, at the Panthers were 21-3 and when Calvin Benjamin was hurt over his time with the team. So, I think that's just more about Benjamin than it does about Cam Newton, to be honest with you. And I know Cam Newton is a great quarterback when he's healthy. Took, took the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl, fell short of, up against one of the great defenses of all time. There's absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. But I really think this is more on Benjamin than it is on Newton, the Carolina Panthers' struggles, to be completely honest with you. Yes, you do make a great point there about Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, he hasn't been that great in his career either. He can't say much. Yeah, no, he can't. Alrighty, time to play the most game, where a word will be placed after the word most, and we will debate categories in sports that apply to the phrase. And today's phrase is most disappointing. Don't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> First up, Liam. Most disappointing NBA front office decision. Oh my, it is way, way, way too easy to come up with this one. The Phoenix Suns giving Trevor Reeves a $15 million contract. What were they thinking allowing a player who shot 0 for 9 in the biggest game of the season to try to take down one of the greatest powerhouses in NBA history? $15 million. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was a great defender, but... You can't have someone that shoots 0 for 9 from 3 in the biggest game of the year under a $15 million contract. I mean, I don't know how much the Houston Rockets were offering him, but still, very bad move by the Phoenix Suns. No question about it. Now, I do agree with you that that wasn't a great decision, but you have to consider Trevor Reese's great defensive performances in the past. He has been a rock on defense for the Rockets um, in the past three or four years, helping them stay in the playoffs. And, uh, I mean, I see what I see what the Phoenix Suns are doing, trying to improve their defense, but, yeah, I have to agree with you that $15 million is too much. In my opinion, uh, the Rockets' decision to sign Carmelo Anthony is much worse. It is and awful. Dead awful. It is completely awful. Carmelo has, has a reputation as a ball hog his entire career, and I don't see how that's going to work in the Rockets' chemistry with them already having Chris Paul and James Harden. Don't forget Kim Capella. Ball-heavy players in the league. And don't forget Kim Capella, but Carmelo Anthony truly is the only Atlanta Hawk to go undefeated in his career with them. We can't forget that. Next, most disappointing MLB player this season. Oh, no question in my mind, Bryce Harper. Uh, this was supposed to be his year from the start. The Nationals were supposed to be fantastic. At the beginning of the year, I believe Sports Illustrated have to had them as the favorites to uh, win the World Series. They did. And Yes, they did, and this and Bryce Harper was also an MVP candidate. 
And now he has a 235 batting average. 235. He never should have made the All Star team. RBIs are down, and the Nationals might not even make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you again. Bryce Harper is having a bad season for his standards, and there were talks of him getting a $400 million contract before the start of the season, and to be honest with you, I'm not even sure he's going to get $2 million. I mean, J.D. Martinez only got $110 million. Do you really think Bryce Harper is going to get $200 million with his stats? Nope. Uh, what's next? All right, next, uh, most disappointing MLB team. Oh, please. It's obvious. We we just talked about it. It's the Washington Nationals. I mean, they were supposed to win the, go to the World Series before the year started, and they're third in the NL East behind the baby Braves and the Phillies. Don't get me wrong, two young, great teams, but the Washington Nationals have the veterans to where they should not be in front of them. I mean, they got Adam Eaton back. They, they have Daniel Murphy back. Anthony Rodone is still good. Trey Turner, I know there are issues around him, but he's still good. And then Bryce Harper, that disappointment, and then... Their pitchers, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. That's a dynamic one-two punch. I know Strasburg's dealt with injuries, but still, Scherzer is a prime Cy Young candidate. I don't. I have no idea how they're in third place in the NLEs right now. Honestly, I really have no much more to say than that. You actually pretty much said what I had in my mind. The Nationals have been awful. I mean, if we want to talk about another disappointment, it would probably be the LA Dodgers, but they've they've gotten a lot better recently. And again, they've picked it up lately. They added Machado and Brian Dozier. Don't forget that. Yep, so, I mean, it's got to be the Nationals. I don't think anyone else compares. Uh, yeah, I really don't think anyone else compares. Last one! Most disappointing NBA player last season. Alright, this one was a tough one for me. Um, I mean, Carmelo Anthony did stick out in my mind, but I gotta think Lonzo Ball. Oh! I'm surprised to hear that. Second overall pick, people thought he was going to be an all-star, and I do understand that some of this was just put on by LeVar Ball, but I mean, Lonzo was a complete disappointment. He had injury problems throughout the year, didn't even average 10 points per game. No, he averaged 11. Oh, so maybe he did come up towards the end of the season. For most of the season, he was averaging about 9. He averaged but, His final stat line was 11-7-7. I mean, good stats, but overall, it was a disappointment from what was expected at the beginning of the year. I mean, I just. Was down. Uh, Michael Beasley said when Malcolm in 2017, Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year, averaging 10 points and three assists, and now people are all calling Lonzo a bust. Like, as much as I don't like Lonzo because he's a Laker and because of Lavar, I disagree with you. Lonzo Ball is wasn't a huge disappointment last year. He could have been better, but there was definitely something to prove. Now, my choice. I wanted to say Markel Fultz, but we have to remember he was hurt last year, and according apparently he's fixed his shoulder. But the one player that stands out to me is my man Isaiah Thomas. Man, I was it was disappointing to see what happened to him. He was he was my favorite player when he was with the Boston Celtics, and then he gets he goes down in the conference finals against the Cavs, gets traded to the Cavs, and then once he enters the lineup, the Cavs sky. The Cavs go into a pit ball, and they end up trading him to the Los Angeles Lakers, and then he just was never able to recover his old self. I mean, I'm really rooting for him to come back in Denver. Hopefully he does. But yes. last season was a very big disappointment for IT. Yeah, two things about what you said there. I do agree IT was a disappointment, but that was also an injury issue more than an ability issue, kind of like Markel Foltz. And the thing you pointed out about Malcolm Brogdon, that was pretty interesting. I do realize he had less stats than... Uh, 
Lonzo Ball, but the entire 2016 draft class as a whole was just awful. I mean, the stat like the stats of the next of 2017 were two, three times better as a whole than 2016. Yeah, true. I mean, unless you can't mark the faults. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements that have happened on dates in the upcoming week. On this day, August 11th, 89 years ago in 1929, the man that cursed my Red Sox, Babe Ruth, hit his 500th career home run. Despite his cursing the Red Sox, Ruth is still one of the greatest hitters of all time. Yes, and two years ago this Monday, August 13th, Michael Phelps, the greatest male swimmer in American history, and maybe world history, won his 23rd gold medal as a part of the 4x100 medley relay. Phelps remains one of the most influential athletes in Olympic history. Also on Monday, the sports world will pay homage to Mickey Mantle, who died of liver cancer 23 years ago on Monday. Mantle was one of the first great switch-hitting players for the New York Yankees. And he led them to many of their 27 World Series. Six years ago, this Wednesday, August 15th, Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners became the 23rd pitcher to, pro- to throw excuse me, a perfect game in baseball history defeating the Tampa Bay Rays 1-0. While Hernandez has declined in recent years, he was just moved to the bullpen. He has a great legacy built from a great career. Yes, when thinking about Felix Hernandez, you have to think about the past rather than the, present, rather than the present. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 45 years ago this Friday, August 17th, one of the greatest and most influential baseball players of all time, his 660th and final home run for the San Francisco Giants, Willie Mays, uh, because he was able to defy race, Mays be, uh, remains a very influential player who players today look up to. Barry Bonds, I know Barry Bonds is right, number retired today. He's by no means the greatest giant of all time, William Mays is. Barry Bonds also isn't the home run king. Hank Aaron is the home run king. Don't add me. Okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. We will spotlight one key matchup happening or player on the move in all three leagues. We'll start with the NFL. Which new rule do you got being more controversial? The catch rule or the helmet rule? Oh, the helmet rule. It's awful. Defenders can't even defend really anymore. Uh, they, so the rule says you can't even really lower your head at all during a tackle. That pretty much isn't possible half the time. And uh, as Andrew Sandeo put it, make football violent <laughs> again. Um, he put it. He put it perfectly. There's nothing much more to say than that. Football has become practically flag football at this point. Well, I disagree with you there. I mean, I know the NFL wants to make a safer place for players, but I think the new helmet rule will teach players how to properly tackle. But it'll, <coughs> excuse me, it'll, it'll definitely make players learn how to properly tackle. And I'm going with the catch on this one because. Two, there were two controversial plays last season against my New England Patriots. The first of which, Week 15, after Juju Smith-Schuster breaks the field open, Jesse James believed to have caught the game when he touched down for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but no, it was ruled incomplete because the ball hit the ground. And then in the Super Bowl, Zach Ertz, I believe it was, scores the winning touchdown with two plus sec, two around two minutes to go. The ball did hit the ground. I'm dead serious, but that's a catch. How is the Jesse James catch not a catch, and how is the Zach Ertz catch a catch? If the Zach Ertz catch is a catch, then Jesse James is a catch. We need to go back and do the last two weeks of the NFL season and the postseason because that changes everything. 
That puts New England up against Jacksonville, assuming New England gets the two. That puts Pittsburgh against Tennessee, who would kick their butts. And that means Pittsburgh and New England meet in the AFC Championship. Anything can happen. Philly may not even make the Super Bowl. The Patriots probably wouldn't make the Super Bowl because they would have to go back to Pittsburgh again. It just changes everything. Yeah, to be honest, all those plays you mentioned pretty much were catches. So I feel like Zach Ertz's should have counted the Super Bowl, but yes, Jesse James's and all the other ones should have counted also. All right. Um, let's see. What's what's next? Oh, yes. Next up in the NBA. Who you got getting booed louder in their return to their old city? Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James? Oh, it's not even a question. Kawhi Leonard. LeBron James did what he had to do. He brought the city of Cleveland to championship. That's all Cleveland wanted. That's why Cleveland was so mad when he left the first time. But he came back, brought them a championship. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really don't think Cleveland has much to do, other than the fact that the Cleveland Indians aren't playing on the level of the Red Sox, Yankees, and Astros right now. But Kawhi Leonard was the next great spur among the lines of David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. He was supposed to be a spur for life. But no, think again. He requests a trade. Gets shipped to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan. While the Spurs did get great shape for that trade, they won the trade. I'm going to make that claim again. The Spurs won the trade. Kawhi Leonard will get vigorously booed when he returns to San Antonio. (coughs) To To put it plain and simple, LeBron accomplished what he needed to with the Cavs, while Kawhi definitely did not. Other than winning that Finals MVP in 2014, he really has not brought them to the success that they were expecting since. And he was pretty much a quitter. He he just he he refused to play through what seems to me like a minor injury last year, and he just seems extraordinarily selfish rather than a team player. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Last one in the MLB: Who you got winning the NL East? Washington, Philly, or Atlanta? Um, right now, I mean, the Braves aren't edging out the Phillies at the moment, but I see, um, but I see the Braves with their young firepower choking towards the end and the Phillies, uh, making it to the playoffs over the Braves. I mean, you make an interesting point how young the Braves are. I truly, I believe that Ronald Acuna is currently hungrier than Reese Hoskins. Both of them are pretty hungry, but in all honesty, I just see the baby bombers led by veteran Nick Veterans, excuse me, Nick Marquez and Freddie Freeman, leading the way to the NL East title. Yeah, I see what you mean there, but I just, I don't know. I just, I just see the Phillies being a playoff team. I they they could both be playoff teams. There are two wild cards now. They could. One of them could be a wild card team. I I don't know how close is the wild card race right now in the NL, anyways. As far as I'm aware, it's pretty close. Okay, so I guess they could make it. They could both make it. All right, that's it for today, boys and girls, and I'm Will Arnson. I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Will for being my guest today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Court Request Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please DM the podcast on Instagram. The only requirements to be a guest are that you have to know what you're talking about, and if you are a guest in one of the next two episodes, not including today's, you must be willing to play in a fantasy football league. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.